0: Value systems, not personality, determine judgment and work success. That is a quote by the person I'm interviewing today. This is Steve Byram, Ph.D. He has been a professor for 25 years, a family and personal counselor for 22 years, written hundreds of articles and books, and has been studying axiology and Hartman for 55 years. Great stories in this podcast today and great information for anyone, even if you don't know anything about axiology, you're going to want to know what we talk about today. So I can't wait to share it with you. Michael, hit it. Hi there, this is Susie Price, and I'm with Priceless Professional Development, and you're listening to the Wake Up Eager Workforce podcast. Here we cover everything related to helping you and the employees and the organizations you work in build high commitment, low drama, and of course our, our theme or our name of our podcast, Build a Wake Up Eager Workforce So that is what we're doing. And that's what we're all about. I am the managing principal and owner of Priceless Professional Development. We help leaders all over the world and have done it since 2004. We work in industries such as insurance technology, higher education, construction, healthcare, consulting, recruiting, and more. I love this work. And I will be one of those people who's probably still be podcasting and doing this work when I'm in my 80s. So It's uh, so fulfilling to help people find more satisfaction in their life and in their work. Um, What we do with the tools that we use, I love them because you can start out and use them when you're hiring and then move it to onboarding and then team building and leadership development, succession planning, conflict resolution. They help us make smart decisions and have smart discussions with people, smart and helpful discussions. I love the science so much that I have become someone who certifies other people in this in this science and in these tools. And we have a six week certification program, and people can get certified. Uh, They can do it at their own pace; they don't have to do it within six weeks, but you can complete it within six weeks. But certified professional disc analysts, certified professional motivators analysts, and Trimetrics expert analysts. So that is a key part of our work. I like being a teacher of teachers and um, a leader of leaders and you can find this information at pricelessprofessional.com if you go there pricelessprofessional.com you'll get all the information about our website and the things we do and then um, you'll see a get certified button there it's in purple up at the top you can click that or you can go directly to it at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash certification so today we have a great episode but i want to also mention with the podcast If you would like to leave us a review or subscribe, if you go to pricelessprofessional.com forward slash review, it's all lowercase, or pricelessprofessional.com forward slash subscribe, it will give you insight in how to leave us a review that helps people find us. Subscribe will help you actually get our app on your phone. So anytime we do have episodes, you'll get them immediately. And so you don't have to go looking for it. So it tells you how to do all that. I've been uh, slow on episodes lately because of. From the summer to now, Um, there's just been so many things going on personally and professionally. I had a family member pass away this uh, August and been kind of working through all of that. And then um, we had the conference, the Hartman Institute Conference, and I was the conference chair this year. HartmanInstitute.org. I'm very involved in that institute, and I actually am going to be president of the institute next year. And uh, it is all about helping expand Hartman's work. And Hartman's work, if you work with me and use trimetrics, is the third science in trimetrics called acumen. And so anyway, I've been very involved in the conference and setting it up and doing all of that. Plus work has been very busy. So I love doing the podcast. I think I'm back at it again here. We've got this episode and I've had another interview with another Hartman influencer. And then I'm doing an axiology simplified episode and we have more episodes coming. So Check us out at, you can go to wakeupeagerworkforce.com, wakeupeagerworkforce.com, and you can get all the episodes. And this is our 75th episode, so there's plenty to pull from. And I also have a little table of contents there. So if you have a specific topic, hiring, uh, team building, any of those certification, you can click on those links and find out more at wakeupeagerworkforce.com. If you want to reach out to me individually, PricelessProfessional.com forward slash Susie S-U-Z-I-E. And every time I do one of those forward slashes, it's all lowercase. So you can shoot me a message as a contact form there too, okay? So let's get into our episode. It's a good one. I just re-listened to the discussion. I know you're going to enjoy it. It's episode number 75, and it's part of a series that I'm doing around Axiology and Hartman Influencers. It's why Robert S. Hartman's work matters today. And it's a discussion with Steve Byram. Uh, Steve Byram has his Ph.D. and he is definitely an axiology and Hartman influencer. We cover today his studies. You know, he's taught and written about axiology for 55 years. So he has great stories about this science and you're going to even if you've never heard of axiology before you're going to find this interesting it's going to help you understand more about it what it is and he does Steve is great at telling stories you're going to learn an answer to that quote that I started with you know why value systems not personality determine judgment and work success so why is that why are value systems and crucial to judgment and personality doesn't We go in a great discussion about that um, I love his thoughts on that and we completely align around that um, and you're going to learn more about Hartman's work we talk about the dimensions there's three dimensions systemic extrinsic and intrinsic and he does a great layout to show you how Hartman's work is applicable to all areas of life and can be applied to almost anything. So we have uh, show notes. They're very detailed, usually on the webpage, And then we also have a transcript so you can get the full transcript and, and skim through the information. Sometimes I don't want to listen because I don't have time, but I do want to see the transcript. You can do the same thing. You can find the show notes and everything for today's episode at pricelessprofessional.com Hartman Steve. So Hartman, H-A-R-T-M-A-N Steve, S-T-E-V-E, the common way you spell Steve, all one word and always when I have those four forward slash it's always lowercase. So pricelessprofessional.com forward slash Hartman Steve. So let's talk about Steve Byron's background and then we'll jump into the interview. He's the founding partner and chief content officer of the Judgment Index USA. That's the assessment tool that he uses that has Hartman's work in it. He's the president and CEO of the Byram Consulting Group. And he's also the founding partner of the Athena Group in South Carolina. Uh, 60% of his work applies to the Judgment Index and the Hartman Value Profile, which is the instrument that uh, looks closely at factor judgment and impacts human performance. So it's, it's a parallel to the acumen in the Trimetrics assessment. And he's also worked with the tool since 1970. So he was a student of Hartman's, and Hartman created the Hartman Value Profile in the 1960s. So he is a rich source of information and insight. Forty percent of his work is through his uh, Byram's consulting group where he does leadership development and helps people prepare for higher level executive level work and does succession planning. He's got degrees from Tennessee Wesleyan College, Southern Seminary, and from the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. That's where he met Hartman. And we open with a story about um, how he ended up meeting Hartman and becoming a philosophy degrees and some of the different work that he's done. He was a professor at the university and college level for 25 years and a counselor in personal and family counseling practice for 22 years. He's also the author of nearly 40 books and over 150
2: periodicals.
0: So let's get to the interview now. I know you're going to enjoy it.
2: All right, Steve, thank you so much for being here. It's so good to have you.
1: I'm delighted to be with you and I appreciate all you do.
0: Oh, thank you. Let's jump right in. How did you become aware of Hartman's work and why are you committed to it? You've,
2: you've committed your whole career to Hartman's work That's at, true. from your background.
1: Tell us about that. I, I think that with me, like with many things, uh, beginnings can occur in, in the most wonderful and strangest ways. And so uh, when I was in college, at the end of my sophomore year, I had a sociology class And it absolutely uh, was Susie was the worst class I ever had in all my educational experience. Teacher was terribly lazy. He was very condescending. As you and I would probably understand, and I don't mean this in an offensive way. He was from up north and he thought he was on some kind of missionary journey into the south to help poor little deprived, (laughs) ignorant Southern people and so uh, he was lazy so he'd come in every day you know three times a week have a circle of chairs and then say whatever you want to talk about sociology so it just became a what i'd call a bs session that was of no substance he was also lazy in the sense that uh, he um, used the tests that were made up by textbook companies And any of the people on on your podcast that have been teachers know that those tests are usually pretty horrendous. And so by midterm, most all of us were doing terribly. And so he came in at midterm and he said, literally, you poor little kids in the South are doing so bad in my class, but to show you what a good man I am, I'm gonna give you a chance to make an A. And he said, of course, that's never been done. I do not have high expectations of you, but if you can come up with an ism or an ology that I don't know about, write a paper, do a presentation, I'll give you an A. He said it won't happen, but at least I've given you an opportunity. Well, my life at that time revolved around athletics, and I was too competitive for my own good, so I could just feel my competitive juices stirring, and so I rushed out of the class, went over to the library, went downstairs, where there was this large reference book that, that obviously was before Wikipedia, but that I had used very liberally to find out things I didn't know about. And so I started in the A's. And so I'm sitting there in this library. I'm going through the A's trying to come up with some orology. And I, I got near the end and it was time to go to the next class and as my wife says, life is a matter of seconds and inches, and so I decided, instead of putting it down, going on to class, and I doubt that I would have come back, frankly, I would finish the A's, and so I turned to the last page of the A's, and there was the word axiology. I'd never used that word before. I'd never heard anybody use it, so I thought, well, maybe I'm on the right track here, so as I read the article, It said two or three things that have still been very, very important to me. It said that axiology is a division of philosophy, and I was a philosophy and religion major at that time, uh, that believes that if you wanna find out something about people, look at their value systems. Axiology, of course, comes from the Greek word axia, which means worth or values. And all of us have our moments of epiphany, but as I stood there and read that, I thought that is exactly right. We are really molded, created, and evolved through all kinds of different value systems. I thought at that moment, I'm standing here about an hour away from Neyland Stadium in Knoxville, Tennessee. I had been taken there since I was 11 years old, and so my blood kind of ran orange. And I, and I thought, and this is very important, had I been born 50 miles from Tuscaloosa, it would have been very different. And at that time, had I been born 50 miles from Lexington, it would have been very different because those cultural values focus much more on basketball and football. And then I said to myself, thank God I wasn't you know, born 50 miles from <laughs> Gainesville. But that that's a story for another day. But then I also thought, <laughs> Where I was standing there was probably three or four blocks from the church I was taken to as a kid. I didn't have any choice about that any more than I had any choice about my parents. But without any equivocation, the values of my parents, of that community, and of that church did have an impact on my life and shaped it early on. That doesn't mean we can't come to the place of, you know, being introspective about those kind of values and come to choose our own, et cetera, et cetera. But without any question, what I read in that first paragraph, that human beings are shaped by their values, very much resonated with me and it still does i read on and it started talking about this guy robert s hartman i had never heard of robert hartman i had no clue who he was but he was identified as kind of the father figure of modern axiology and the person that people were beginning to turn to more and more to find out about this whole area of philosophy uh and so you know at that point I'm finding out about Robert Hartman. And then the last thing it said that was of such great significance then and now is that Hartman had determined if you really wanted to know something about someone's values, don't just look at their head and what they think or their hearts and what they may believe and especially their mouths and what they might say look at their judgments, look at the decisions that they make and how that drives the actions of their lives. Those are all still core principles to me. And so I began at at that time, probably 18 years old, study Hartman. Uh, and I was kind of a very disciplined student. I liked studying and still do, and so I really kind of got deeply into Hartman by the end of my sophomore year in college. The last two years, almost everything I did kind of circulated one way or another around Hartman. Then when I went to Kentucky to do uh, my first master's degree, it was still relating Hartman to all the other things I was dealing with, and so I I can again recall, and then I'm going to stop this answer being in the library in in kentucky and uh reading a journal that hartman contributed to regularly and in the back of that journal was a kind of gossipy section academics can be real gossipy sometimes and so i turned back there and it said back there that dr hartman had determined that he was going to spend the rest of his life and this was like 1968 69 that he was going to spend the rest of his life uh kind of living in places where he loved to be. That's really a pretty good idea, to tell you the truth. And he had kind of been all over the world numerous times, and he had narrated to two places, Guernavaca of course, in Mexico. And where he lived there was very beautiful. Gilberto has sent me a bunch of pictures lately of that whole environment. And in the hills of East Tennessee, which clearly demonstrated that Hartman was a man of great genius. He had (laughs) known and been in conversation, of course, with John Davis. and So he was given this opportunity to come and teach at the university. And so I kind of made a beeline to finish uh, my first master's. And then come to Knoxville and have the chance to study with Dr. Hartman in the three years before he died and and not only to study with Dr. Hartman but also to study with Rem Edwards which was a profound influence on my life with John Davis and with a guy named Rolf Dieter Ehrman uh, with some people in their religious department religion department so that experience at UT was a fundamentally important experience I began to use the tool immediately with students and found out that it created great curiosity with people and if you can ever get people curious you know that can be a portal to a further conversation and then when i came to my first teaching experience and then to become the dean of a humanities program at the college where i was i began to use the tool to uh higher faculty members, and and we're still talking about the middle 70s, and then by the late 70s, I was also given the responsibility of being dean of what was called continuing education in our college for about 18 months, and so we were building work out into business and industry, and so immediately when I got out there, I could see the need for the assessment and begin to use it, first of all, in the Tennessee Valley Authority, and then HCA Hospital Systems, and and then it just spread, you know, the rest of my life, and so that's kind of how I first got to know Hartman. I found him an enchanting man. Uh, that's the only word mm-hmm. I can use for it. He, he was. I love that of,
2: description. Yeah, enchanting. He
1: was. He was just full of good humor. He was so smart. He knew a little bit about everything he had wonderful stories i was interested in his germany hitler stories and all of that sort of thing i think he was interested in me because he was very interested in southern religion and maybe even a little bit in the southern you know affliction or obsession with athletics i'm not even sure he would have seen religion and that very differently so a lot of conversations that we had moved in those arenas so that's wow. kind of how i got engaged with hartman and it's been a lifelong pursuit i mean there's not a day passes that i'm not studying reading writing about hartman
2: yeah wow well it's amazing to me divine moments so, I mean, the the way you're a
0: masterful storyteller, too, but I was right there with you in the library and you yeah. find this word and then this leads to this. And so why we ever think that we're not guided or we're not supported, um, you know, the answers are always coming and you, you know, they were for you. And this well. has been your lifelong focus. But I do have one question about that, though. Did you
2: present about axiology? Did you oh, get yeah. an A?
1: Uh, I did. And I got an A in that class. And so.
2: Awesome. In fact, I became
1: somewhat famous in that college community for making an A with that guy. So at any rate,
2: <laughs> that,
0: that, that that suspense was hanging yeah. out there for me. So I, I love the story. I think it's amazing um, when you look at your background and I know you were like, oh, I don't want to share my full bio, but it's just amazing how you all that you've done, and it seems like everybody who invested in Hartman
2: early or knew him has very rich and full lives.
1: I don't know everybody well, but I I find that very true. I mean, if you start talking about somebody like an Art Ellis or... David and Vera Medford or somebody like a Wayne Carpenter. And I hope I'm not leaving anybody out. Those are the people that I have known the best. They're wonderful people. I mean, they just really are. And it was very interesting. A number of years, probably a decade after David and Vera and I had met and all of that sort of thing, we discovered that my grandmother and David's grandfather were brother and sisters. And so, you know, like you said a moment ago, life is just filled with serendipitous experiences.
2: Yeah, it's fun to notice them. And I I think it's uh, amazing what you've done in your life and you continue to do. So uh, here's a list of things that are on your, I I won't have read the whole bio to everybody, but professor, consultant, counselor, dean, lecturer, author, joint ventures, I mean, it's just amazing. I mean, that all of that is what, it's just amazing how much you've produced and created and done.
1: Well, I'm like my, one of my, one of my grandchildren, a little boy about eight years old now, he gets up running and he goes to bed running and he just has boundless energy. So I'm really grateful that I have a, a level of energy that kind of matches my level of curiosity. Uh, I, yeah. I think that there are plenty of people and and I've mentioned some of them that I think that are a lot smarter than me. But uh, I, I do have a lot of energy.
2: <laughs> and you put it to use, well, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah. This
1: stuff is interesting to me. I mean, you know.
2: Yeah, it is.
0: It is. And it gets you. I was just talking to somebody earlier today who says, you know, I've been trained on it, but I wanted to get better at it. It's like once yeah. you start studying it, you you just kind of
2: can't stop because it's it's limitless you just want to know
1: more well i think it is and i think that it's like a treasure trove that you just can't get to the bottom of i mean all the stuff that's at the graduate library in knoxville i i've I've, you know i've fooled around up there for decades but i feel like i've only just scratched surfaces uh and and so you know and but you know I, i think it's important to say I was raised by a father who had very little education, but was almost like a mechanical genius. He was the foreman of a farm implement company and just ran that so he could do anything with tools. Um, And so I was raised around tools and tools are still very important to me i mean if you look at the tools that i build furniture with uh, or if you look at the tools that i build model airplanes with i hate a tool that doesn't work i mean nothing will rile me more than a tool that promises and doesn't deliver and i i'll guarantee you that one of the things that has kept me most highly engaged with all this hartman related stuff is that that tool flat works i mean you can see it Work on every level from helping people hire better people to helping people have transformational experiences and coaching to helping groups figure out how to, uh, you know, maximize their resources and work together better. I, I think I would have always stayed with Hartman's philosophy, but I mm-hmm. would not have stayed with this tool if it didn't absolutely work in the most practical sense on a day to day basis.
2: When you try to explain to someone, it can be confounding if you're learning about axiology for some people and for all of us, actually, because it's like, how do I get my arms around this? And then it always it makes more sense to me now, you know, 10 years later or 15 years later, I guess now for me, but how it can be applied to so many things. And so it's like, okay, how is it applied to economics and finance and hiring and coaching and war? And it's like it's it's. Yeah, you know, if you're coming into this, you're thinking, OK, how is this the, the Swiss Army knife that does yeah. everything? What would you say or how do you explain it? Because you're such a good storyteller. Just talk about that, how you explain it. somebody brand new to axiology and they're trying to understand it. Maybe you can give a, a big picture view about how it's applicable and then maybe how you actually explain it to yeah. clients.
1: Well, I, I think it's kind of interesting in the clients that I've had over all these years, uh, they are most interested in practical outcomes. And so they're they're not all that interested in in explanations. I mean they're all the time curious about how you can go from the elements on the the items on the assessment to the conclusions that you draw. But boy, I mean, if you, if you go to work with somebody and suddenly you've helped them reduce their turnover from 40% to less than 10%, they really aren't all that concerned about you know, yeah. conceptual issues. And then they begin to understand when you're doing development with their groups or with them as individuals, the kind of something of the paradigms that you're looking at. And so I, I think that really and truly those kind of questions don't come up as much as you might expect now when they do come up and i i don't want to get complicated and i'm going to say some things about this and the uh, activities we have next week but hartman was was looking for an axiom and an axiom to hartman was an expression an expression that would unite what he called the phenomenal field or it could be applied in almost universal ways now when we think about an axiom we think about something like a equals l times w area equals length times width and, and that can just almost apply universally, whether you're talking about measuring carpet for the floor, the size of a building lot, the size of a football field compared to a soccer field, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so area equals length times width is an axiomatic expression that can apply in a universal in a universal way. And so to me, and again, this is just to me, I find Hartman's hierarchy that moves from the systemic to the extrinsic to the intrinsic, I find that expression axiomatic in the sense that it can apply to almost anything. Uh, You know, I I can bring up the word wood, and systemically, that's different than steel, concrete, glass, or aluminum. That can be very useful at times if I think about that extrinsically I can think about a two before a toothpick or a baseball bat and functionally you wouldn't want those to get confused with each other you'd want to use those with some expertise or with some accuracy but over in the corner of my study over there I've got an autograph to me personally Yogi Berra baseball bat and I was a catcher in high school and college and Yogi Berra was kind of my idol and so intrinsically that piece of wood over there. Has a depth of meaning to me that is kind of transcends even language that I can use. But I can promise you that in terms of what's important to me and what's valuable to me, if this house catches on fire, that's going to be one of the things I go for pretty early on. But that's just relating to wood. Let's say I think about a female. A female is not a male. That's very systemic. Some females are red haired, blonde haired brunettes, five feet tall, six feet tall, 120 pounds, 130 pounds. They have a certain skin tone, color, et cetera, et cetera. All that's extrinsic. But when I talk about my wife and I say that she's the love of my life, suddenly I've kind of gone to something that's very intrinsic. And so to me, Hartman's intrinsic, extrinsic, systemic lens dimensionality ways of looking at life that's axiomatic to me. And so I can apply that to poetry. I can apply that to economics. I can apply that to leadership. I can apply that wherever. And, and, and so it's, it's stunning sometimes. And so I can take an assessment. I can look at best performers, for example, that are nurses in a tertiary hospital, and I can begin to understand what from their value systems driving their judgments makes them good at what they do. But I can look at a nurse in a cushy community hospital or a home health care nurse, and I can look at their best performance through the lens of this tool. And I can see that their orientations in terms of the what the tool says in terms of its indicators, that they are very different. And so it's amazing how that Hierarchy, both as it relates to the world and as it relates to the self, how that becomes applicable to almost anything you want to talk about and can give you a better perspective or a a deeper way of looking at things. And so his hierarchy is an expression, Mm -hmm. it's axiomatic because it has such a vast universality of application to it. Mm -hmm. It's not exactly the same kind of expression of area equals length times width. But in some respects, it's exactly the same as that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what Hartman was trying to achieve. It's in
0: everything, too. It Once you understand everything. it, it's like gravity. It's like it's there whether you know it or not. It's it's that's happening. Right. You know? That was the magic of the discovery. It's like, oh, my goodness, you have just put into words the understanding right. of everything.
1: You, that's right. I think that's exactly right. And I think that's the right. power of what he does. And then the assessment gives you a way to create numbers around that and then you can cue conversations that people aren't used to having usually and that's when people have these phenomenal insights about themselves and the groups they're a part of
2: yeah it's like you accelerate the conversation so a conversation Absolutely. you would have after eight months of coaching or counseling or consulting you can have in the first week
1: you know, if I, I they're ready, you're exactly if they're right, right. <laughs> you know? and you know it's in the 22 years i had a counseling practice Before I would see somebody, they'd have to come in, fill out paperwork and all that kind of stuff, and they'd do an assessment. Well, since reimbursability usually was for only three sessions, you either had a choice of doing three sessions, give additional sessions away for free or whatever people could afford or whatever, and we've both done plenty of that. But if I had that Hartman assessment before those people or that individual came in, I could cut right to the chase of what would be the most important conversation. And they'd go out Mm -hmm. there and they'd think I was some kind of genius. Well, that that (laughs) wasn't true. I was kind of like, you know, in the movie Patton, when he has these victories in Africa over Rommel, and he would say, Rommel, you glorious bastard, I've read your book. And so in some Ugh. respects, when you have a chance to see that assessment on somebody, you've kind of read their book, book and you're yeah. ready. You said it perfectly. You're ready to start having significant conversations yeah. from the first moment.
2: It's it's so interesting to me too. When I see someone's results, I don't know what comes over me. It's like, I just feel so much love. You know, I, it's, it's uh, no matter what the results are, there's never a bad result. You know, no. there's, it's yeah. just a, here is insight. And then what are they trying to achieve? And now here is oftentimes the information you need to help them achieve it. And it's just, I don't know. I, I think sometimes people are afraid when they see scores that aren't as strong yeah. or they, feel, but I guess maybe that's part of growing into it, but I just feel like such a deep appreciation and so much excitement because now that we know this about where we are, we can do something with it.
1: Well, I think that's exactly right. And, you know, we, yeah. we went, through of you know 10 15 years ago this trend of of an emphasis on crucial conversations or critical yeah. conversations yeah. was actually fairly accurate we are straining and stretching to have crucial, critical conversations, but what's going to be the spark to that? And I think that the, the tool mm, can certainly part. be a yeah. spark to that. And, and so yeah. I will always tell people, I, I don't think Cartman's tool is a magic wand or a crystal ball, yeah. but it sure can be a catalyst for very significant conversations that people can have within their own heads or that people can have around the table with the other people they're trying to accomplish tasks with.
2: So it's interesting in, on your website, I uh, watched the video, I and mean, we'll put links to everything, all your contact information at the end. But there was a video, and I liked how you said it was very succinct, it, or someone said it, value systems, not personality, determine judgment and work success. That's it. Value systems, not personality, determine judgment and work success.
1: Well, you see, so, I, I think at that point, you're edging up on probably what is the really serious conversation to have about this and a conversation that is somewhat controversial, I guess, and that I'm certainly not trying to be pushy about. But mm-hmm. I, I think that that historically, we've had at least uh, three or four different critical ways of assessing people. We've had IQ tests like the Stanford-Binet. Mm-hmm. And, and early on, I use those a lot because early on, they could tell you if someone has a, had a degree of literacy that allowed them to be trainable, that that was often important information. But by the time you get down to the, you know, late 60s and early 70s, people are educated enough that those IQ tests really lose a lot of their relevancy. And of and of course we've we've had all these psychological tests, and I'm a strong advocate of the MMPI now the MMPI two, and I'll I'll use that probably 20 times a year. I I do my work with a, a company that has a, a mall security contracts, and anybody's going to be a mall security person, they're going to do the Hartman assessment. In in about two percent of their workforce, they'll have people that carry live weapons. I'll always do an MMPI, on, uh, mmpi What's it, MMPI? It's a Minnesota I mean. Modiphysic Personality.
2: Oh, okay. I have one heard of, the of it,
1: re- it, It's probably one of the most uh, used across the years. Psychological okay. assessments—it's—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, okay. it's keyed very closely to this Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Interpretation that usually drives insurance reimbursability for psychologists and psychiatrists—a mm-hmm. okay. big old book that defines things. Uh, yeah. And, but the Hartman tool is not trying to look at psychological dysfunction, so I think it's important to remind people good that good
2: differentiation there. Yep.
1: Uh, but then, most significantly, what—and this is the point that I, I really am interested in people at least taking into consideration and, and I'm not going for agreement. I'll just take my, you know, sled and slide down my own hill. But, uh, uh, most of the assessments that are out there today that have been very prominent and widely circulated are personality tools, uh, mm-hmm. like the Myers-Briggs or the DISC and I'm certified to do both of those. So I'm not trying to put any of those down. If someone asked me to come and do an all day retreat, And they want me to have something that will kind of be an icebreaker at the beginning. Or if they've used DISC or Myers-Briggs, I can go in there and talk to them fluently about DISC and Myers-Briggs characteristics. But then I'll quickly move to, to the Hartman. And that almost always captures the entire day. But here's what I'm trying to say. And this is very, very crucial to me, Susie. I do not see Hartman's tool as a personality tool in any way whatsoever it's an axiological tool it's not a psychological tool and and i don't go asking for agreement about that but that's one of my my strongest convictions i think the reason why we use the word personality so much is that when most of us went to college and then the generation probably before and after us now they would take an Introduction to Psychology class. I mean, it was almost as much of a class that was taken as a literature or an English class. When I was a dean, I had huge numbers of people in my division that were taking Intro to Psych classes. And so what's the word that shows up there that infiltrates its way into the modern language? It's the word personality. Personality is one of those words that has very, very, very broad connotation almost to the place that it becomes a cliche. It's a word that people use constantly, but if you try to pin them down about what it means, my Lord, it, it'll mean 50 million different things. And so it doesn't have much denotation or it doesn't have much specific but we use it almost as a default part of our, our language. And so I just think personality tools don't go deeply enough. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, e- everybody that you know I agree. Uh, yeah. uh, could write introverted to top of a page and talk about 10 situations in which they're introverted. They like, could write extroverted to top of the page if they turned it over and, and have 10 situations in which they were extroverted. I can tell you that on every personality test i've ever taken i blow the end out of the introvert scale but i'll i'll make 200 presentations a year and so i mean you know that's not a very very introverted thing thing. but some somebody like uh, art ellis or somebody like rim who've experienced me they they would probably immediately say that i'm introverted introverted. uh Mm -hmm. no I i think they'd say i'm very introverted Uh, oh
2: okay i just only experienced you as a speaker and today and you know so i see you it's like oh yeah they would say you're extroverted and that is either not
1: me or not me at my more essential core that's something i've learned how to do and so at any rate i Mm -hmm. I just think that personality doesn't go deeply enough and what the hartman tool as an axiological tool is doing is looking at people's judgment now when i make Mm -hmm. that point i'll say to people who in the room's got young kids and of course there's a multitude of people i always have young kids i'll say how many of you want your kids to grow up and be real smart and everybody raises their hands and i'll say but now remember that that kind of smartness comes from the mother not from the father oh everybody likes that (laughs) Um, and and then i'll say you want your kids to grow up and not have psychological dysfunctionality of course everybody wants to avoid that then i'll say You want your kids to have nice personalities that people can relate to in ways. There's nothing wrong with that. Everybody agrees with that. But then I say, but when you think about what you want your kids to be when they come along, you want them to have good judgment. And you may be more responsible as a role modeler and a teacher of good judgment than any of these other things because you could be the highest IQ, most psychologically well-balanced, most charming personality person in the world. But if you don't have good judgment, all that other mm-hmm. stuff goes mm-hmm. vulnerable in a heartbeat, and we see it all the time. And so I don't, I'm do not i not an either-or binary type of person. I'm not trying to say personality tool or the Hartman value profile. I'm a both-and kind of a person. So that's fine if we want to use a personality tool. But everybody on this call that's had any experience with validity studies and performance outcomes knows that the personality tools have not been very good in that regard. But the Hartman tool is. And so I think that we need to make a fine line of distinction, not a red line in the sand and not being egregious about it. But I think that we owe it to Hartman to make a fine line of distinction between personality, psychology, and axiology and judgment. And so I insist on eradicating from my vocabulary except when i really want to precisely use it the word personality i don't believe the hartman tool is talking about personality people understand those distinctions and then Mm -hmm. they understand how even though they've been acclimated to the word personality and personality tools all their lives how they might can bring this hartman tool in and have a broader perspective that they didn't previously have
2: yep yep i always say that the The disc and the motivators, which I use because team building and it's part of the trimodal part of our assessment, but that it is often gets weaponized. It gets treated as though it's measuring judgment and skill and ability. You know, just like you said, you can call somebody an introvert, but they really are capable of being extrovert. You know, so somebody the other day said, oh, she's a high C. She can't be a salesperson. I'm like, "Uh, yes, she can.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah. I I, well, I fear that sometimes the personality tools, especially in the hands of a weekend certified user and you've seen plenty of that. But yeah. sometimes the personality tools can become very stereotyping. And yes. a lot of times
2: like
1: people yeah. believe that when you get a snapshot of somebody with a personality tool, it becomes a portrait that that lasts forever. Well, not everybody thinks that, but a lot of people believe that. But the Hartman tool clearly respects the fact that human beings evolve and that they're impacted by elements of their environment that can impact their assessment. And so one of the best pieces of work you're ever able to do is if you've worked with a group or an individual over an extended period of time and you've incrementally assessed them and you can see how they're trending. Or how our culture is trending. Man, that is mm. that's a whole additional conversation that gets very, very valuable. So I I don't want to fight with anybody that that insists on using the word personality, but my deep conviction is that Hartman was not talking about personality.
2: Wow.
0: Yep. It's judgment, but you've nailed it when you call it judgment. And your assessment is called the
2: judgment index. So. Yeah. Can tell you have conviction on that. <laughs> well, that's at least
1: one of the brandings that we use in some of these different yeah. groups. But I, that one was kind of—I I always, in my biome consulting, use Hartman Bay Profile as my branding. Uh, oh, do you? But okay. when we formed this partnership, the Judgment Index, we we did some focus focal groups, and Hartman Bay Profile didn't turn out to be very distinguished. Uh, To the distinctive for them. They didn't know who Hartman was. Values had become a very innocuous word, and in profile and the 90s when we were building judgment index you know that that was a very negative word probably still rightfully is oh yeah
2: right now too yeah and
1: so that you know i think judgment index is just i mean i I always tell people the algorithms have not changed one single solitary iota and i have no interest in doing that so you know in another expression we call it the hpp insight and another expression we call it the athena quotient that name hadn't gone over real well and that Environment, but but yeah. still, I, I still feel very inclined toward Hartman Value Profile. Although I use Judgment Index all yeah. the time. So
2: well, it really does make the point that it is something different. And I love the way you outlined the four different ways. You know, that it's not IQ, it's not psychology, it's not personality, it's judgment. It's yeah. how you decide what you do. Yeah, and that yeah. So that's awesome. Uh, you know, I did uh, notice I did notice on your bio that you have done some work in regard to stress management. Yes. And so many people are under stress right now. And so you did uh, some studies around that, and then I think you did uh something that got some awards, a blue cross blue shield where you did a partnership with them.
1: Yeah. Can you
2: talk about that and any tips for people around stress management related to axiology uh or anything.
1: Just very briefly, I could say this. In the way that I use the assessment, I think that you can use what are called the attitude indexes, both on the work side and the self side, as a way of not simply measuring the stress that somebody's under. I I never go in and say that I want to come in and do a stress management project where I'm measuring stress that people are under uh Mm -hmm. there's plenty of people that do that kind of stuff but at any rate what i think that the hartman assessment can tell you is i think it can tell you a great deal about someone's coping abilities and so Mm -hmm. i go in susie assuming that in people's work life and in their personal lives they have stress i go in assuming that without any equivocation i want to go in and see what the tool is telling me about this, about a person's judgment capacities to be able to make decisions and act in ways that will allow them to deal with stress. And, yeah. and what's very, yeah. very significant about the tool is that a good deal of the time, it is very encouraging and hopeful because it will show people that maybe they have more coping ability than they might think. Now, I I do think that there is an element of the tool, and I won't go into the specifics of the indicators, but, but I think there's an element of the tool that will let you know that maybe the biggest form of stress that people have to contend with are unknowns, uncertainties, gray areas, variables that they don't know when they're going to show up. That'll drive you nuts, unknowns. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's where the tools, indicators in my work have gone south. I'm not sure why we say south more than any other Mm -hmm. indicators. But uh, I think especially since 2000, in what I would call a post-9-11 world, the presence of stress caused by unknowns has just grown exponentially. And I think that just sucks the energy of people being able to make good decisions. It sucks the energy out of them. Now, here's one thing I found, and I'm talking about data backing it up. If people with each other, maybe it's even husbands and wives and kids, but people in organizations, if they will make a really, really gargantuan effort at improving communication of not allowing silos to be created between people, of not creating some kind of chaos because you think that it gives you an advantage over other people, et cetera, et cetera. If we can have more transparency and honesty and clarity, the scores on those indicators that I'm talking about will improve. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And So I think we can get insight into stress and how to handle it from the from the two i i can remember in what was really interesting for me uh, about 2002 or 3 uh, i got invited to come to Walter Reed in, in Washington and they wanted me to look at their staff at the hospital because they were having medication errors and other kind of treatment errors and they were having bites in the hallways etc cetera, etc cetera. and they wanted us to come in and and just look at stress so we weren't doing development team building yadda 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 all the other things that we might be able to do but we were able to show them where their primary elements of stress were and what they could do to kind of approach those or who were the Mm -hmm. people that were the more stress hardy people and how they Mm -hmm. could maybe ask them to take on more demand. So uh, you're, you're hitting on a very significant point because one thing I learned from Hartman is that if you talk about stress and chaos, if you talk about those kind of elements, they will become derailers of good judgment Mm -hmm. almost quicker than anything. And especially frustration, which is a profound form of stress.
2: Yeah. yeah. So I would think when I'm thinking about uh, the tool I use, what I'll see if, if people have internals that are really high, they know who they are, they know the, where they with the roles, they know their future. they are so much more uh, resilience. Absolutely. And they so it's like and usually if the role uh, we call it role awareness, but the extrinsic internal they have a sense of belonging. What you were talking about, not having silos. They have a sense of belonging. I belong to this group. I belong in my work. I know what's expected. I have community. You know, all of that impacts our resiliency and our ability to handle stress. Oh, I agree with
1: that. I think that,
2: you know... know, I'm talking to the experts, but that's how I I always interpret it. (laughs) I would
1: would agree with that very, very, very much. I think that uh, the greater amount of self-awareness that somebody has the better they're going to be able to deal with anything. The problem yeah. I have is that in our databases, only about 10% of the, our population in those databases have that kind of high level of internal self-awareness. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that's, that's not only sad, but it's a little bit scary.
2: It is scary. And then, you know, what I often see a lot too is on the external, of so working in the world, how clearly you see how to get things done Sometimes people see it clearly, but their attitude or their bias toward it is so strong negative. So uh, I always see that as a sign of stress, too. Yeah. You know, uh, I see what needs to be done, but there's just too much of it. Well, you know, so then that's you see that, you know, your mindset and how you and I have had that on my report in the past. And I I feel when I have it, you know, comes and goes because it's all this is not one time you take it and ah, it's a degree it's you know you constantly but I know I notice it and I think to myself so often now I'm clearer and I have worked on that and gotten systems and things in place where I don't feel so agitated yeah. about things you know and I'm, th- I'm feeling like I'm getting things done immediately and cheerfully and yeah. accurately and so there's a t- I mean you can feel it you can when you make a change on what you're assessment says about you especially the Hartman work you feel it in your life sure
1: you do and it's I, I think a huge that, stress reducer yeah. oh I well I, I think it, it allows us to cope with the stresses that are there and it's coping yeah. then that re- reduces the impact of the stress I guess or the yeah. the kind of internal sense that if something comes up you know I, I believe I can handle it I mean that that, yeah. that has something to do with how you see yourself but I I always try to make the point that who we are drives what we do and yeah, uh, either in a yeah, positive yeah. or a negative direction uh, but what yeah. i call an eye dominant self side it's it's really striking sometimes how many people do not have that and especially young mm-hmm. adults just that are coming on the scene uh, uh, in our databases over 30 percent of the young adults that we deal with or what we call S-dominant. That means in terms of self-awareness, they see themselves very abstractly. They don't mm-hmm. have a strong sense of their own uniqueness.
2: Uh, yeah. but, and
1: that's where we get our presence. And if we're leaders, that's where people are going to follow us. That's going to give us power. And I don't mean an extrinsic type of power that is kind of position or title power. I mean the yeah. kind of intrinsic power that people will respond to and want to follow, which is, you know, a great attribute of leadership.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this
0: is so wonderful. This is wonderful. I'm looking at time and I want to ask you some of these other questions because people always say that they like hearing other things about our, um, people I get to talk to. Are there particular books or training programs that you'd recommend that have been extremely influential? I mean, you've written so many and then, uh, I see your bookshelf behind you, and I'm sure that's just a peek. But if someone's listening to this and they're interested in this work, uh, interested in feeling more
2: fulfilled, using good judgment, what are a couple of things you might recommend?
1: i tell you, that's really a difficult question because I think that this whole market of of emphasis and of writing and of books has just been overwhelmed by psychology-type books, pop psychology-type books, self-help types of books and so on and so i i'm really not very keen on recommending those kinds of books i have a minor in literature and 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 so a lot of times i, I will if i'm recommending things for people to read because they're always asking you that question I, i'll be mm-hmm. recommending some kind of uh, of novel or some kind of biography or some kind of uh, you know book of poetry or whatever the case may be, or, you know, I may, I think we have a lot of modern philosophers and I don't know, philosophers is probably the best word, whose work is captured in music that we've got. So sometimes I'll make recommendations to people who are writing particular kinds of music
2: we are about Wake Up Eager here at Priceless. We talk about that a lot. Mind, body,
0: spirit. And you have so many interesting things to offer and have been so successful in living a rich life. I'd love to hear what are some of the top things you do
2: around waking up eager for your mind, your body, and your spirit.
1: Not to sound like a boring person. I, I spent a lot of the you know, middle years of my life as a runner. And I did that for a lot of reasons to keep my weight under control uh, because I still love competing, I guess. But I I always found that, you know, a half a mile into a run that I kind of went into a different kind of zone and that that was very relaxing to me. Although you were exerting a lot of physical effort and that that was a arena of insight for me, I really believe deeply in contemplation whatever form that takes for people. Now, for me, it has kind of become a long walk in the woods or in the neighborhood or whatever. I think it's very important to diversify our field of experiences. And so, you know, I may be reading something in philosophy for an hour, and then I may be turning around and be reading something on – Levon Helm, who was the drummer and the lead singer for uh, the band uh, and, or, or whatever. Uh, and so I, I really am very curious about a lot of different kinds of things. I, mm-hmm. um, I find after over 50 years of being together, I find my wife endlessly fascinating. And so to engage her in conversation did not make much difference, whatever, or just to kind of mm-hmm you know, be aware or be around her and what she's doing or thinking about. It's always, and my kids and grandkids are that way. And so I have not pressed out to 10 million friendship circles. That's meaningful to a lot of people, but I sure have, you know, done that within the context of my family relationships in ways that have been very important to me. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I don't know, you just, but, but I do think that, you, you know, there's that, piece of material in the wisdom literature that we call the book of psalms most commonly that says be still and know that god is god i'm not real sure how to explain in any way the god end of that in fact i think it's probably beyond explanation or it'll get lost in extrinsic and systemic doctrines and practices but i'm really sure about the stillness part and so mm-hmm. I've spent an awful, I, I taught comparative religion for 25 years. And so I'm very, very much aware of the traditions, for example, of something like Zen Buddhism. And so I think that stillness is of great mm-hmm. significance. And practicing mm-hmm. stillness, I don't know, that's probably what people commonly and almost trivialize with the word presencing. That can mean an awfully lot if you understand it philosophical traditions especially of somebody like heidegger with real present tense activity i don't think Mm -hmm. that we're very often present tense i think we're usually worrying about something from the past or worrying about something in the future so we we don't have much present tense experience so that's very important to me in whatever form it may come on any particular day
2: Mm, that's wonderful yep I love the curiosity, stillness, and present tense.
1: Well, you know, Plato said, or it's attributed yeah. to Plato, that philosophy begins with wonder. Mm. And so, I, I think, I, if you want, if I think about how my life is blessed—if you want to use that word—and I don't think you have to use it, but but I, that's what I, at least—I feel a great sense of gratitude. About the fact that I do have almost a childlike sense of wonder. And, uh, you know, my, uh, my dissertation was entitled Intrinsic Value in Play. And in that, I explored a great deal of what the Greeks call paideia or child's play. And I think that, that if you can have a sense of wonder and experience mm. what I call wonderment, you're a very, very lucky person
2: hmm that's wonderful wonderful and you're going to be speaking on the intrinsic at our Hartman yeah. conference and if you go to hartman institute.org you can see that yeah, that's next week last two questions if you could have a billboard anywhere where would it be and what would you say
1: oh good lord i think that the billboard here needs to go at the at two of our major intersections that connect us north and south and and east and west and uh I think it would say something pretty simple, like, you know, be kind. I know that sounds like Harry Styles, but I, I I think that a lot of belief and faith and all that kind of stuff comes down to the fact of whether we try to practice generosity and kindness with each other.
2: Wonderful. Wonderful. And then closing, last bit of advice or wisdom that you'd like to share from our discussion about this work today, uh, the axiology, the science of uh, wonder, curiosity, Hartman. What what would you say kind of close this out?
1: I think that uh, many of us, when we have talked about Hartman and his thought and uh, his logic and what he does, even with the assessments and the algorithms that drive it, I think that we have made Hartman so complicated now maybe because some of us talk about it every day of our lives it's not complicated when we talk to each other but i I think that there is a great great need to uncomplicate hartman Uh, now part of that was hartman's fault i mean it wasn't a bad thing that he did but he was so multilingual that he'd be talking along or riding along he'd switch languages on you and uh, If he had been able, and I don't know, but if he had been able to write with the simplicity of his friend Maslow, Mm -hmm. I think we'd be talking about Hartman today as much as we might talk about Maslow. And so Mm -hmm. I think there is a great need to uncomplicate Hartman rather than to think about getting into the oceans of its depth. And so I've Mm -hmm. often said about myself, I think across all my life, I've played around at the shore of hartman's philosophy that that's been pretty useful sometimes and very meaningful sometimes but Mm. i think that when we venture out and we can only go into some deep spot of the logic or the math which i think is more metaphor Now, a lot of people won't agree with that, but if all we get, if we can't get out of the depths of it, sometimes it's never going to get up and apologize for the metaphor onto the shore of people's real lives. Mm -hmm. And so I think we need to uncomplicate it. I really Mm -hmm.
2: do. Yeah. I love it. Love it. How can people reach you, Steve?
1: I've got a, uh, probably a dozen different ways, but my email is Byron, B-Y-R-U-M. The number four there are four people in my immediate family at aol.com so see i'm still fooling around on aol but, <laughs> but, but i do religiously follow that uh, i'm terrible about phone calls sometimes because probably the phones rang 10 times while we've been on this conversation i'm not going to let having a chance to talk to you get distracted or interrupted by a phone call uh and and so but, but I, I am reliable on that email. So anyway.
2: Okay. All right. Well, so if anybody
0: wants to reach out to you, that's a good place to do that.
1: Absolutely.
0: And how about your website?
2: Judge, judgment Index? The Judgment no?
1: Index website's the most accessible one. Okay. I, I'll I've, put a link I've to that tried show. for 20 years to construct a Steve Byram Consulting Group website. And I probably will do that, especially now that there's some time to do that. But the yeah. Judgment Index website's a pretty good representation of what I'm trying to accomplish.
2: Wonderful. We'll put that in the show notes. Thank you so much for
0: sharing. You're wonderful to give your time, and uh, you have so much good to share. and,
2: and it's been great.
1: Well, it's been a pleasure to me to get to meet and know you better because we had never really crossed paths to speak of, and 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 you're so accommodating and so easy to connect with, and so I, I really appreciate the chance this has given me to get to know you better.
2: Awesome. Thank you.
1: Good luck in all you're doing.
0: So what was your favorite part of our discussion today? Some of the things that really stood out for me is our conversation. We were talking about how the how the tool, the Hartman Value Profile, can be a spark and catalyst for very significant conversations. And that is so true. I don't really want to do any coaching without that tool, without having the Hartman piece. And I loved, loved this. Is the first time I've heard the Hartman tool compared to, IQ tests, psychological tests, and personality tests. And the difference he made, a—I mean, I've heard it compared to personality tests, but he made a different distinction than I've heard before um, when he shared that information. And it is a difference, and that's why in my business we have the car analogy, right? So I talk about the car analogy. Car analogy is five areas of performance, and the disc assessment, which is a personality assessment, is how you drive. The motivators is what puts gas in your tank, and the Hartman or acumen is what's under the hood. So it's what you don't see, uh, but under the hood, it's the horsepower. And, and in his terms, he uses it and talks about it being about judgment. And they go together. So, horsepower is how we think and make decisions. And when your judgment is off, everything else, you could have great, great IQ and be psychologically sound and have a very positive and uplifting personality. But when your judgment is off, when you're not as clear or strong in your judgment, then there's the challenger it's an opportunity for development same thing with the car analogy you can have a personality style that matches the role you can have what puts gas in your take and what you're interested in that matches the role but if your horsepower is limited then you are going to be negatively potentially impacted to being successful in the role and it's an opportunity to figure out where the horsepower glitches are because that is where the power is to have those significant conversations. And I I loved where Steve talked about, I don't see Hartman's tool as a personality tool. It's an axiological tool and it's not a psychological tool. And so, and how he pointed out how personality has such broad connotations and how we, how we talked about, I like him, um, I'm certified in DISC. I'm not certified in Myers-Briggs, but I've used it over the years many times. I don't, I don't mess do with it now. I just focus on my tools. The DISC is a piece of it and they're, it's valuable and it's worthy to do and I can speak to it but where the real power is something that measures judgment and or something that measures horsepower as we different terms kind of meaning this similar things personality tools just don't go deep enough they don't really tell you how we're thinking and feeling and making decisions so and, and i have the same fear that he has that personality but can become stereotyping and often people they use it like it's a portrait forever i love that he said that that it's a portrait forever oh you're a high d high i e- that's you. And they just kind of stereotype you. And it's like, no, 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 I'm way more complicated than just being a high D, high I. And you are too, in regard to whatever your personality type was. Very helpful tool, does really help people, or we wouldn't measure it and wouldn't use it in trimetrics. But the axiology is a tool where the true powerhouse is. And so I think it's appropriate that we call it the horsepower or what's under the hood. It's not immediately visible. But it is a tool that can really help us grow and evolve. And it isn't a portrait forever. We get the results from our Hartman part of the assessment or Acumen. And we're able to say, OK, this is this is where I am and here's where I want to be. And here's where my strengths are. And it really I like that uh, Steve said Hartman's tool respects that people evolve and that he says both and. So let's use axiology and personality. So I am just we're so on the same page on that. I have done a podcast called The Weaponizing of Disc. I'll put that in the show notes and the show notes are at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash Steve. So pricelessprofessional.com forward slash Hartman Steve. Look for our next episode. I do an interview with Dr. Rem Edwards. He is phenomenal as well. He was actually one of Steve's professors. And in this podcast, Steve Byron mentions Rem Edwards. Uh, We had a great discussion just this last week. It's so inspiring. He inspires me on so many levels. So it's just so nice to know so many interesting people and to be able to share them with you and to hopefully build your knowledge and understanding of the use of axiology and the use of these tools and the understanding of axiology in our lives. If you'd like to connect on LinkedIn, be sure to reach out to me. That's kind of my main social media platform these days where we've got my page, Susie Price, and then we have Priceless Professional Developments page and a Wake Up Eagle Workforce page. So you can kind of connect with us there if any of that is um, interesting to you. And again, if you want to keep track of episodes, go to pricelessprofessional.com forward slash subscribe and you'll be able to... Um, you know, Get the steps on how to do that. And pricelessprofessional.com forward slash review. Always leave us a review, that would be appreciated. Can't wait to talk to you on the next go round. Reach out if I can be of help. Susie Price, pricelessprofessional.com forward slash Susie. We'll see you on the next go round. Take care.